Good morning. Parashat Vayechi, of course, describes the Berachot that Yaakov delivers to each of his children prior to his death. Before each of his children, of course, he speaks to his grandchildren, Ephraim and Menashe. I'd like to, for a moment or two, pick up on a similarity, at least in the eyes of the Hakamim, with regards to Yaakov's blessings to Ephraim and Menashe, and that to Yosef. You see, when he turns to Ephraim and Menashe and has those famous words of Hamalach HaGoel he concludes with the words V'yidgu Larov Bekerev Ha'aretz. And the word V'yidgu Larov, those words, as Rashid describes, have to a certain extent a twofold interpretation. First and foremost, your children, your offspring should proliferate, should be as great and as bountiful as the fish in the sea, Dagim V'yidgu Larov. But beyond that, or in addition to that, says Rashi, the same way that dagim, fish, are beneath the water, and as a result, eyes can't directly catch them and see them, they should be samui min ha'ayin, in the words of Musa, they should be not uh, approached by and grasped by an ayin hara. That's the description of Rashi. So again, just like the fish, which the eyes can't grab them, so to your children, your descendants, shouldn't be affected by, again, those elusive, mysterious words, ayin hara. But then again, to Yosef, if it wasn't just one reference, you'll understand there's some sort of motif in the eyes of the hachamim. Because when Yaakov is blessing Yosef, he describes him as ben porat Yosef, ben porat ale ayin. Ale ayin, as Rashi, much as to Ephraim and Menashe, they should be above and beyond and separate from ayin hara, evil eyes, so too. You, Yosef, should be so. Well, what is that? What's the description, first and foremost, generally speaking, of Ayin Hara? And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, in this context, why is it that Yaakov, in the eyes of the rabbis, saw it fit specifically to Yosef and to his descendants, as opposed to any of the other brothers? Understood, but not in the Berachot now. Okay. Well, that being the case, I would suggest by means of an interpretation that I once read from Rav Kook and later from others as well, that Ayin Hara, generally speaking, the Mass is interpreted, as do the Hachamim, as an uh, evil occurrence that might happen to a person who is seen, at, seen with envy, with the curious eyes of others, by provoking their curious eyes, by bringing out envy in him or her because of their realization of what he has done, what he has achieved, well, that has a negative effect. Alternatively, maybe ayin hara is not so much the effect that their eyes have on you by means of some metaphysical approach and power, but rather quite simply, when I act with the realization that others are watching me, my very actions will be changed. Generally speaking, in a negative sense. I'm doing true, genuine, authentic avodat Hashem or anything that we might be doing in our lives. When I don't think about others' eyes on me, I'm able to do it in a pure and pristine fashion. I'm able to do it because this is what I'm supposed to be doing, because this is what I know is the right thing to do. The moment that I realize, feel the expression of other people's eyes upon me, my actions in turn become less authentic. Their genuine side is lost. Now there could be positives. Sometimes a person sees others watching them and as a result they grow. But oftentimes 
Oftentimes, that's right. Uh, we'll we'll suggest going up to the Torah and giving an uh, giving a high level donation because others are watching you and it inspires you to do better. It's the words of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai in the positive sense on his deathbed when he turns to his students and he says, "The eyes of others can affect you positively." There's no doubting that. But at the same time, the eyes of others can take out of your expression that authentic, that true connectedness in whatever it is that you're doing, turning it into not your own heartfelt, soulful expression, but rather just to impress others, rather just to make certain it matches favor in the eyes of others. Perhaps, although many other answers can and have been offered, that's what Yosef and the sons of Yosef were most prone to in the eyes of Yaakov Avinu. Looking at Yosef, his child, who was most public, his child who was most exposed to the world around him, Yaakov decides and determines what's very significant with regards to this son and his descendants is that they not be influenced by the eyes and the wills and the visions of anyone and everyone who's watching them. Let his expression be a heartfelt one throughout his life. Let Yosef act from a midav emet, from a character trait, from a heartfelt truthful intention as opposed to one which society is perhaps portraying or placing upon him. That description of being able to act in a certain truthful, genuine fashion when the eyes of others are not on you. Just a few moments ago I was describing how I remembered, I remember how I visited after the death of Hacham Yom Tob Yedid Alav HaShalom and I was sitting in the home, it was in New Jersey, with one of the sons, and the son said, in a moment of candor, and a moment of truthfulness, he said, you know, many people have come in and described the greatness of my father, and I know it's true. Many people have spoken to me about how they know my father was studying Torah all day, and I know it's true, but to be honest with you, I don't actually know it's true. I believe it because it's what everyone else said. I never saw it. I never saw and never heard from him his study of Torah, what he was doing all day. I said, well, what did you talk about at the dining room table? You never asked him, Dad, what were you doing today? He said, we would never ask that question. If we did, we weren't getting a direct answer at all. It means that he wasn't prone to others watching and determining what his intentions were. It was a development of a relationship between himself and Borei Olam. I mentioned as well that I once read that Rabbi Chaim Salavechik talked about his father, known as the Beit HaLevi once. Someone asked him, did your father put on tefillin of Rabbeinu <coughs> He said, I would have no way of knowing. We have no way of knowing. You grew up in the household with him. You prayed every day with him. How could it be that you don't know? He said, do you know what Shohan Aruch says about wearing tefillin of Rabbeinu Shohan Aruch describes a person who's God-fearing, a person who's mushlam bimidot, etc., you think my father was going to expose that even to his children, that he believed that that's where he was? It's a description which unfortunately in a day and age where optics becomes the name of the game, whereas business people were focused on what others see in our brand, in our merchandise, it's a vision of ayin hara which is oftentimes ignored and not felt appropriately by us in all aspects of our life. Yaakov's vision for his children for his grandchildren from the branch of Yosef was a very pointed one. What he says to them, and in turn what he says to each of us, is that if you're going to develop a genuine relationship with yourself and in turn with God, 
it means you need to be focused inwardly. The moment that you find yourself thinking about the eyes that are watching you from around is the moment you've diminished in your appreciation of who you could be. It's the moment in which you've become more artificial, more topical, more external, as opposed to focusing on matters that are truly significant. I've more than once suggested that Korah is the greatest example of an individual who is driven by the eyes and beings of people around him. Because Korah, throughout Parashat Korah, is looking at others from the very first words, Vaikah Korah, either way, the several interpretations, he's taking others, either with his words or just literally taking, that's what he's doing. And Vaikahalu Vayakilu, throughout the Parashat, description of how Korah comes not as an individual, <coughs> but his rebellion against Moshe Naharon is expressed through all the people together with him. He can't speak as an individual. He doesn't realize and understand that he has words which are worthwhile or could be worthwhile without the aid, assistance, and eyes of others. The death of Korach then is quite telling because the Pasuk says that Korach and his people were yored, hayim she'ola, and those words are translated as they descended to death while alive. Think about that for a moment or two. Realize that in those fleeting moments or seconds, at the end of his life, there was no one to turn to any longer. He didn't just die instantaneously. He died while having to realize there's no one to turn to. As he descends to the depths of existence, Yakorah is finally forced to do what each of us should be seeking and searching to do throughout our lives to look inwardly, to realize it's not what others think about me, it's not the social pressures and atmosphere that I've been placed in that determine why I do and how I do it, it's rather to have a truth, truthful, genuine, authentic approach of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yaakov's words then to Yosef, to Ephraim and Menashe are very telling for each of us. Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe, you are the public figures from my children. You are the Safinat Ba'aneach. You're the viceroy of Egypt, and I know your children are going to fill your shoes in some way, shape, or form. Yaakov says to them, as a result, make certain that your actions are driven by a certain midavimit, by a truthful approach, by what you believe is correct, not what others tell you should be or could be correct. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.